Welcome to How to Feel Great. I'm your host, Scott C. Jones. In case you're new here, How to Feel Great is an offshoot of my regular podcast, Heavily Pixelated. The focus of these episodes is self-care and connection, two terribly important things for anyone who hopes to survive this pandemic. We're all socially distanced from one another. We're all isolated in our little COVID pods. Connecting provides you with a vitamin that you need to live. I'm coming to you live on tape from my COVID-19 bunker here in downtown Toronto. My neighbors are driving me fucking nuts. They're making bacon all the time. They stay up late. They sleep late. Uh, I'm sure they're nice guys and lovely people with good hearts. But I'm an old man now, and I only have so much tolerance for other people. I had to do a shop yesterday. I had to go out and wait in line. And, you know, every time I go out, I come home and and I think I'm fine. I think everything's great. I got my groceries. I feel proud of myself. And then I'll wake up at, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning and I'll think, oh my God, my throat is burning. I think I have the COVID now. I'm 100% sure I have the COVID. But then I wake up in the morning and my throat doesn't hurt anymore. And I laugh at how afraid I was in the middle of the night laugh and how vulnerable I felt. This is just part of the experience of living in the 2020 pandemic. What I'm saying is this, I hope you're getting enough sleep. And if you're having nightmares, well, you're not alone. Today on How to Feel Great, my conversation is with Eve Cravoche. I hope I'm saying that right, Eve. Please forgive me if I'm not Eve is the executive director of TakeThis.org. Take This is a really admirable organization that, according to the website, works to decrease the stigma and increase the support for mental health in the game enthusiast community and inside the game industry itself. I asked Eve to have lunch with me at GDC a little over a year ago now. We met at a place called the Samovar in Yerba Buena Gardens, not far from the Moscone Center. Ah, yes, memories of the outside world. I'm in Toronto, but Eve lives in the Seattle area. But thanks to the wonders of technology, let's bring Eve in now. Hello, Eve. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Eve, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Happy Friday. Yeah. (laughs) In case you forgot what day it was. Like what I was about to say, it's like... (laughs) Uh, the, the, as much as, as much as I, you know, do have weekends still, they are blurred together substantially more than they ever have been. (laughs) Yeah. All of life is blurred together at this point for sure. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh Um, how are you holding up? I am holding up. Uh, I don't know if I'm doing well or doing a mediocre job or poor job. I, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to remember that no matter what I decide to do with my days, and I have high hopes every day that something good is going to happen, that uh, that I'm still a good person, that life is worth living, <laughs> you know, that that um, that uh, I'm healthy and strong, and mm-hmm. I have two lovely cats, and um, that's it. Like I'm just trying to give myself kind of uh, a free pass across the board. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's, you know, I have so much free time. I talk to so few people right now. I see so few people that, that I'm still okay. And I, I, I do feel a little kooky. You have a, you have family though. You have a, a child, a young child, mm-hmm. and, and you have a partner. Um, how are you husband? guys doing? Yeah. I have a husband and yep. a nine-year-old and a dog. <laughs> okay. um, That's a lot of yeah. stimulation. 
There is a lot going on. And in fact, that's what's interesting. You know, um, I was talking yesterday with a colleague of mine mm -hmm. about how there's really different categories of people in this experience. Yeah. And they have radically different experiences. Hmm. Tell me, like, give me the range. What, what, like, what do, you, what do you mean by that? So there, here's, you know, my experience is my husband and I have always worked from home or have mm -hmm. for a long time. And so we're really used to that. <clears throat> yeah. And we have it all set up. We have separate spaces. <laughs> we have, you know, and, but, but suddenly we have a nine-year-old at home full time yeah. Yeah. and like, that's not a small thing at all. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we can't do any, we can't go anywhere. Yeah. Right. But we have a lot of privilege. We have, um, good internet. We have lots of screens at home. Yeah. We have uh, space. We, we live in suburbia and we have a backyard and we have a patio and we have, and we can like go outside and not be in crowds. Mm -hmm. You know, we can take a walk with the dog and not be in a giant crowd. And so our experience definitely has stressors, mm -hmm. but it's also, um, it's, it's it, in a lot of ways, it's not uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who are um, totally isolated, who are living alone, right? Like your experience. Mm -hmm. and I mean, I'm in a major city. There are, there are people around. I'm still an, as annoyed with my neighbors as I always am <laughs> because they're home all the time. Um, right. But I don't, you know, I don't really see any people on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, mm -hmm. you know, moment-to-moment -moment basis, right. you know. So that's strange for me. Now, you're in the Pacific Northwest. You said you're mm -hmm. in suburbia. Are, are you like in a suburb of Seattle? I am in the suburb of Seattle. Okay. Um, so, so I live in Kirkland, Washington, which is oh, where. That's lovely. The, yeah, that that's where, but that's where the 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 pandemic started in the U.S. Oh, it did. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Less wow. than a mile from my house. Wow, that's incredible. So it's a very strange place to be right now. Yeah. Uh, and and in fact, we're ahead of the curve. We we mm -hmm. um we had we experienced it earlier. We we implemented social distancing earlier. And, and it does look like the curve is starting to flatten here. It doesn't mean it's mm. going to be over the, you know, the social distancing and the quarantine will be over any faster, but yeah. um, the, you know, it feels like there's progress being made, yeah. which is a relief. It is a relief. Um, so can you walk me through like a typical day, you know, like, like tell me what, what are you guys doing this weekend? What's, what's your plans? Um, so, well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I mean, so on a day-to-day -day basis, we're, um, my husband and I are both working a lot. You know, mm -hmm. I do, I do mental health work mm -hmm. and it's not direct, I don't do direct service, I'm not a clinician, but Take This does all this like mental health response, crisis response work right now. We're trying mm -hmm. to put out a lot of content, provide a lot of support. So actually I'm That's really- so busy. great. Yeah, it's great, but I'm super busy. And I actually, I went through, I had, I got compassion fatigue. Last week. Yeah, yeah. I really got burnt out, and um, and so I had to kind of hibernate over the weekend. Um, but a lot of our days, you know, we're on a lot of calls. My husband just pitched a game yesterday. <laughs> he runs. Oh wow! Game. Yeah, so like he had to do it all online, and yep. that's pretty intense. Um, but uh, we are um, really lucky because, well, so my brother uh, is a musician, and he's unemployed. Mm -hmm. And my sister is in a master's in teaching program and can't do her day full day, you know, student teaching because it doesn't exist anymore. Right. Uh, and so they've both been providing online lessons to my daughter. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It is really amazing. And like, you can't, you can't replicate that. Right. You know, that, that's a, like, 
she's not getting yet uh, full online classwork from her teacher. She supposedly it's going to start on the 20th of April. I don't know what that's going to look like, but right now she's getting really great educational support from them wow. and then cobbled together. But there's a lot of, um, of, you know, in the middle of a call running out to help her or her coming in and saying hi to all the people on my screen. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, there's just a lot of interruptions in my day. That sounds kind of nice though. Um, it, it is, it is both nice and really stressful. Um, sometimes it's lovely. Sometimes I just need to get into a workflow and I can't. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, it, it, it it's hard. And so, so what I find myself doing is the experience I I have is that I get tired fast. Yeah. And, um, I just, I have less energy or less hours when I can really function as a, as a, as a, an effective worker Yeah. because I have, I I just, I have to do so much code switching and so much back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, so I am allowing myself to kind of crap out at some point in the afternoon. This is Scott back in the studio. I think this is a really important thing that Eve is giving herself permission to accept the fact that she's worn herself out and, and that she needs a break. I, I think that's something we we can all incorporate into our uh, daily lives. Okay, back to the interview. And, well, I don't uh, want to wear you out either. Like if if you're too tired to, to, to keep... To oh my gosh. Part. Are you sure? Yeah, no, no. This is, I mean, part of... Um, part of what I do is this, right, is, is the work of normalizing a conversation around, around mental health right now and around yeah. helping people through this about what our own experience is and to be really honest and open. And um, this, is a, this is kind of an amazing opportunity. Um, okay. I'm, yeah. glad you're in, I'm glad you're excited to do it. Like, that's I'm fun. I'm totally excited to do it. You know, we've yeah. already started. Like, it's begun. Totally, it has. Yeah. <laughs> no, I... I I feel really strongly. I, I yesterday, um, so take this is doing some some webinars with the IGDA mm-hmm. um, about crisis management stuff. And yesterday we had a conversation. I, I, I facilitated a conversation with two folks about em- maintaining empathy and positive studio culture right now. Oh, and that sounds fantastic! It was oh god, it was a wonderful conversation. And oh, I love this stuff. How like if I'm just a regular person, how can I see these webinars? Yeah, they're free. Oh. They're free, and they're they're archived on the IGDA Twitch channel and the IGDA YouTube channel. If you have links, send them to me after our call. I will. Thanks. I will totally send you a bunch of. Oh, links. I love this. This is great that you got, that you're doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Um, and this, so this is what I mean about crisis response stuff. But one of the things we were talking about is how everything's more personal right now. Mm-hmm. And like, it has to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? We're doing all these web calls in each other's ha- in, and we see each other's houses and kids and like spouses and, you know, partners. It's just we have a really different relationship to our, to our own personal lives and to each other's personal lives. Right That's now. right. Like it's, it's so true. You're, you're dealing with all of these uh, high level professional communications, but it's all in the most intimate setting that it could ever possibly be in. So you're basically sharing your world with everybody else and they're sharing their worlds with you, even though yeah. you're not actually in this, in their world, you're still, you have access to their world, which is, which is, strange and the other thing that i imagine is wearing you out is also that you know now that your your child is home um 
that you have to like switch hats so quickly, constantly throughout the day. You have to go from parent back to the screen, back to work, back to the, like, I don't know how you two are doing that. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. And we do, what we do sometimes is, you know, like my, my office door is closed right now. And yeah. I was to my daughter I'm recording something this is when I can't be interrupted and so we'll have periods of time okay when we kind of trade off who's the parent of record <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also um, uh, have given myself permission one for our daughter to have more screen time and for me to find escape mechanisms to mm-hmm. do something that's like watch really trashy TV. Oh, I love this. I love this. Let's talk about trashy TV. I love yeah. that, you've, that you've given yourself the freedom to, uh, to indulge or, or maybe even like verge on overindulging. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, um, well, it is. <laughs> so I had to be careful in terms of overindulgence because yeah. one, I had to sleep well, and that was that had been a challenge for a period of time. So you have it, have not been sleeping well. I ha- I was for a while. I was really not. Okay. Uh, and what was going on? What did you figure out? Well, I think it was it was the stress of the transition of the unknown of the mm-hmm. overwhelming experience, and I had to I had to dial back into some self care around. Okay. Around so so I started I had I had lost um, a regular meditation and yoga practice and I had to recommit to that and started journaling mm-hmm. and started really coming to understand how much alone time I needed because that's the other thing it's really hard to get alone time right yeah. for us um, and so trying to find a balance of that um, mm-hmm. and uh, the, you know those everybody's self care is different but but. It, it's, it, it takes work to maintain, and I had to do that. How do you know this about yourself? Like, just from, you know, just from being you and living in your body as so many years, like, you've just learned this through deduction? Like, how did you come to these conclusions? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, it's not a straight line. Yeah. And it involves, um, it involves a whole lot of, some of it is just living, right? You know, I'm in my mm-hmm. 40s now, and that's, so I, I'm not a child anymore. Mm-hmm. Although sometimes I feel like one. <laughs> um, some of it is therapy, and I'm still in therapy, and I do that um, by you know by video call right now. Mm-hmm. But therapy is really important. Um, some of it is you know I did I went through a process of of becoming a yoga teacher years ago and mm-hmm. doing a lot of self work self work around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, which involved building um, some sort of a contemplative practice or reflective practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's like just paying attention to self worth work over time and paying attention to what helps me um, and and recognizing that each of these things are a practice. And when I mean a practice, I mean literally that you have to practice it over and over and over again. Yeah, it's not, it's not a destination. It is a you know. It's a, how do you do this on a day-to-day, day-in, day-out basis and commit yourself to it all over again every day? I like what Eve's saying here. Figuring out what you need and then finding the time to provide yourself with what you need is, is what we all need to be doing right now. It's, it's always work and it, it, it's never not going to be work. Like it's, it's like life is lovely and it's wonderful to be here and there are exciting things to do and, and great adventures to have. But you have to kind of be ready to do that work day in and day out. It never stops being work. You know, I'm about 10 years older than you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just, I, I think through my own therapy experience, you just, 
you sort of learn from the process that you have agency, that you are <laughs> in control of your well-being moment to moment, day to day, you know, year to year. You, you constantly have to, you sort of have to take care of yourself. Absolutely. I think, I, I think I love that, that idea, that way of putting it, that you have agency and it's your responsibility to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, and it isn't, it, I relearn it all the time. It's not like it's clear to me once and that's right. it. Right. Right. Like that struggle is constant and that process is constant because the context always changes. You know, like I had to relearn it in the context of quarantine and it was not a pretty process. It involved, it involved a fair amount of crying and yelling in the presence yeah. of my, my spouse. Yeah. You know, and, and some, some blow-ups with my daughter. But, it, but I did. I, you know, I, got, I think I got over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also, um, yeah, it, it, it's, um, it's also make, you know, reflecting with, this, with a social circle, like having people to talk to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, reaching out to friends and, and, and also, and being willing to be vulnerable about it. I think, um, I think growing is, is always painful. And I think, you know, I mean, it literally was painful, you know, it was a long time ago for me, but I remember my, my limbs growing as a child and, and, yeah. and being in bed at night, just feeling the ache in my, you know, arms and legs and just not knowing what was going on. But, you know, like that was literal growing. And now the growing that happens is is more on the psychological and spirit, spiritual level, you know, mm. for me. And it just, I think it never stops. It doesn't matter if you're 90 or if you're 20, like the growing always needs to be happening. Otherwise, you're not, you know, you're not sort of participating. You're not, you're not part of the world. And, you know, I think there's always a little, you, you talk about, having you know moments of of drama with your partner and like there was pain for you you know and there were pain for your partner too and and those were moments of growth for sure really yeah they really were and i think um there's a lot of fear in that process right of of change and growth and um and i've what i've had to do and this is really like this is my journey and i i don't want to make it sound like it's other people's journeys but the way of describing it is i i've always needed to feel like i had i had roots like i had grounding and steadiness Mm -hmm. in order to grow and so my practice right now is a standing practice of two feet rooted on the ground Mm -hmm. and by doing that i then can face that fear Mm -hmm. i have the space and the strength and the steadiness to face that fear of growth and I didn't a week ago necessarily, right? right. It, and and um, and I had to I had to marshal those resources and really take it seriously in order to do it. But I did. Are you describing like literally having two feet on the ground? Like you're talking literally. about a, a practice? Yeah. So I come to a lot of my self care and 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 practice comes from a mind body connection because mm-hmm. I was a dancer as a kid and I was always mm-hmm. a mover. And then I became, I started studying yoga a little over 20 years ago. And, and so, so I have always come to my emotional and mental awareness through a, a mind body connection. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people find this, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of scientific research about it. There's a lot of evidence. There's a lot of, um, you know, 
embodied experience around this. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, um, and, and the way I learned yoga, I had some wonderful teachers. There was really this, this explicit connection between, you know, the way that your body, you use your body in space Mm -hmm. and how that manifests into your spiritual, emotional, and mental understanding of things. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's a really powerful tool. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the, 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 the physicality of my yoga practice changes over time in terms of how much I do and how much I'm really focused on like a specific pose or trying to get into handstand or something complicated. Right. But what uh, I always do is I come back to using my body as a tool and understanding that my emotional well-being flows through the body. Oh. Relationship to it. Yeah, you know, and there's like yoga is not the only way to do that. My mother um, practices Tai Chi, mm-hmm. um, which is another reason why, you know, I have this relationship to my body practice. That I watched my mother, um, you know, do Tai Chi when I was a little, little. Um, there, there are lots of other ways and a lot of people just use conventional exercise. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know so, I, I li- yeah. when I lived in Vancouver, I, I really sort of... Um, I was uh, I was an alcoholic for a long time, and um, I uh, I started uh, climbing uh, mountain climbing uh, in in mm-hmm. in Vancouver, and I really learned to uh, sort of build. And I, I sound a little like a little bit of a not saying this, but I learned to build a relationship with the mountain. You know, you sort of yeah. touch the trees and you climb and you sort of feel pain, but you also feel endorphins and you feel like you're sweating something out that needs to come out. And um, that was probably the most spiritual part of my time in Vancouver. And it, it helped me get sober. I learned to appreciate like the endorphin rush that I get is better than any high you could get from any drug or alcohol on the planet. Like it's amazing. And um, I just learned to, to really appreciate the breadth and depth of, uh, of exercise and endorphin rush and, and yeah. mind body connection. Yeah, that's totally like, that's really the same thing I'm, de- I'm describing. It's an intentional relationship to the body. Yeah. And, and the fresh yeah. air doesn't hurt. I love the Pacific no, Northwest. I, I love where you live. Like it's always, it's always, always a, a fantasy land for me. And it still is like, there's just something wonderful and magical and i love the moisture in the air and the, the ocean the little bit of ocean no matter where you live no matter how far inland you live you you still always get a little bit of ocean in, in the air like i love it that's great it's it's a special place it is a really special place yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i love it yeah and i appreciate what go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say i appreciate having a dog because it forces me to be outside all i'll bet day. yeah so yeah. but you you grew up in vermont is that right yeah yeah. Okay. How did you, how did you get to the, to the can, can you take me back to your childhood? And you said you were a dancer when, and your mom did Tai Chi. Like, what did your dad do? Uh, well, my dad's always had an interesting relationship to physical activity. It's evolved over the years. Um, when I was a kid, so I grew up in the woods in, in way Northern Vermont, 12 miles from the Canadian border mm-hmm. in a very rural area um, uh, with hippie parents. Mm-hmm. And um, so when when I was very little, they were still kind of sort of trying to figure out how to live off the land, which turns out two suburban hippies <laughs> didn't really accomplish. They ended up yeah. um, running a health food store in my mm-hmm. uh, 
at my childhood. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, they also ironically prepared me for a very conventional type of success. So they put me in dance classes when I was a kid. Um, first ballet and then, you know, like jazz and tap and all that. And was that your idea or their idea? Well, they gave me a choice. Okay. Um, did I want to take piano or dance? And I chose dance. <laughs> and <laughs> my brother chose both and he got to do both. Um, Is he younger or older than you? He's younger than me. Yeah. Are um, you guys still close? We are very close. And, oh, that's so great. He's now a professional uh, musician and uh, of some some considerable considerable skill so it was it was more that I came to I watched my mother all the time she had been a dancer as a kid and we would like dance to music just kind of improv um, in the in the house and then actually this is kind of an extraordinary thing hmm. um, so my my childhood in this tiny little town in northern mm -hmm. Vermont uh, involved I was surrounded by all these hippies who were artists and and uh, I had an extraordinarily rich cultural experience um, and there was a there was a one of the two communes in the town that I grew up with in, mm -hmm. uh, and the members of which were all friends of my parents one of those communes was an actual artist colony it was it was and and there there were these people these folks there Steve Paxton and Linda Nelson who were some of the founders of contact improv dance, which is partner oh. improvisational dance. And, uh -huh. and they, like at some point in my childhood, they, they built a beautiful studio um, on the land at the, at Madbrook and, um, and hosted dancers and workshops. And I got like, my mom and I got to come and words world famous dancers and do like contact improv and oh. like, it was it was out of this world. Wow! And wow. so we were trying to do, you know do like like a, the dance that that is like inception dance kind of mm -hmm. you know how do you how do you come to movement from a totally organic un un untaught way? Mm -hmm. How do you peel away the layers of dance teaching and dance and and you know muscle memory in, in that way? And and like all of those possibilities were open because it was such an open way of living in the world mm -hmm. all of these people around me that it was like well let's let's just try it like we're we're literally making an, ourselves anew here mm -hmm. i mean that's why that's why i have the name i do because my parents they were like we're trying this is a new experiment we're starting over we're, oh, we're right quite literally is your brother adam no he's gideon he's oh, gideon okay. which, which close Close, another yeah. name. Ironically, they were like, let's go back to the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> are they, uh, are, are, I have no idea if, if you're, uh, if you observe, uh, are, do, are you religious? Uh, well, so we're Jewish. We're all Jewish. Okay. And, and I did, I, I grew Happy up. Happy Passover. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you. We had a lovely Zoom Seder the other night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm very strongly culturally Jewish. I have worked at times in my in my past been more observant, uh, not mm -hmm. particularly so. Um, but because it was at a very intentional thing to be Jewish in Northern Vermont, you know, mm -hmm. you had to like work at it. I actually formed a pretty strong identity. And then I went to Brandeis University, which is a, a Jewish-sponsored yeah. university outside of Boston. So... 
Um, yeah. Uh, but not a lot of, uh, not a big co- Jewish community, I would imagine, in Vermont. Is there? No. Yeah. Well, I had to drive an hour to the synagogue, and it was a tiny little congregation of like 30 or 40 families. Mm-hmm. But like I went to I went to Hebrew school once a week for like four years. Wow. And I, I had a bat mitzvah, and, you know, I... Um, I did, I had a, an amazing lay teacher, so not a rabbi, but a very learned um, mm-hmm. person in the community who, who like taught me how to do textual analysis, like, like biblical, like textual analysis of the Torah and its commentary, mm-hmm. which was an extraordinary education at the age of 12. And, mm-hmm. I mean, like literally. And so, yeah, I had a really unique experience. I mean, it really hearing about these things, learning about these things really makes sense for, for, I understand how you fit so well into the take this.org role. Yeah. Uh, now <laughs> it, it totally makes sense. The ingredient that's still missing from your, your, your origin story is, is, you know, when did games come into your life? Like, were they part of your childhood? Yeah. And, and is it something that you shared with your brother? Is it, is it something you mm. did privately? It's like, I, just give me a little bit of your gaming background. Yeah. So um, games, I grew up without television. And so, you know, despite the fact that I was born in 78 and, and like, we didn't have a computer in the house even. So I didn't have any game. I didn't have any video game like experience. I knew what they existed. I yeah. knew what they were. But, um, and really until I, I got to college. Well, I, I mean, I played board games all the time. I loved board games. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in, in college, I started at the very end of college, I started dating my husband, David. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. You guys have been together so long. I love this. Yeah, Yeah, we met in 1995. We started dating in 1999. So more than 20 years, which is just wow. Um, Yeah. And we we uh, he had been he was a super geeky, nerdy game nerd. Love it. And, And when we started dating, we started playing worms together on his computer in his dorm room. Oh, in the spring of 99. And that was really my first introduction. I mean, I'd like, I'd, I'd had Minesweeper and Frogger like sure. on my computer, but I hadn't played much. Right. Right. And, um, and I'd never played, you know, console games ever. Uh, so, so Dave started to teach me how to play worms, you know, the, the, like the old version. I don't know. Yep. If you I, I remember. Yeah. For and sure. yeah. And we, <laughs> uh, that was like, Part of our courting, like our very early, the first few months of our relationship. Yeah, yeah. So you could have, there are two ways you could have gone at this point. You could have like yeah. totally been turned off and just said, oh man, this guy is way too dorky for me. I cannot take this worms thing anymore. <laughs> I got to go. Or you could have said, I'm going to, you know, be open to this and I'm going to go along with it. You went along with it. Totally did. That's yeah. So cool. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, you know, I was watching, God, we were so young. I was so still, young. I was, yeah. I was 20 years old and, wow. and he was 22 and or 21 at that point. And you're still pretty young, Eve. I am. Yeah. yeah. But like I was a baby. You were a baby. <laughs> yeah. You were still literally a baby. <laughs> and, um, and we were still figuring out who we were mm-hmm. and we did that together. Yeah. We, uh, we did that together over those first few years. So this um, was important to him. He liked video games and yeah, he liked, he liked nerd culture and you were, you were like, yeah, I like, I think I like this too. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it didn't become a hardcore gamer at all, mm-hmm. but I started to, I mean, we started living together like 
practically immediately and in reality like a year later yeah. and um we I, I i spent a lot of time watching him play games mm-hmm. do you remember um, what, what he played when you watch would watch him i was just trying to remember them okay um, that's okay one, it was like all this mining and um oh my god i forget the name of it tons it was, it was all pc games and um and so we, I did a lot of, of that. And, yeah. you know, like, I, I, it's so funny, because now that I think back on it, like, essentially, that was the case for streaming, mm-hmm. right, before streaming existed. And then when streaming started, I was like, I don't understand this thing. But really, I'd been doing it all along. I was watching my husband play, my boyfriend play games, you know? So you're saying, look at watching him, you know, like, being an observer to him playing games is kind of the same exact experience as watching someone play on a stream well not exactly but i can understand why people do it you know and and i would because it's that same like this is somebody who has a skill i don't have and somebody who who enjoys it and i get enjoyment out of watching them enjoy it and do it well and it was yeah it was really quite sweet and and it and it evolved and and then i you know he he took some time to figure out what what he was going to do at first he thought he was going to follow his dad into medicine and figured that out, decided not to do that. And then eventually got into business school. And ironically, it was through business school that he got into games. Wow. Okay. An atypical path in, but um, it worked for him. Yeah. I mean, he's being true to who he is and that's perfect. I think for, for a life choice for him. Absolutely. Oh, totally. Um, And it has served him quite well. And so it was after business school that he got a job at Xbox, which brought us out here from Boston. Mm -hmm. Out to to Washington. Eve's husband is a man named David Edry. He left Microsoft and founded Spry Fox in 2010. They've made some some cool games. They've also made some really devilishly hard games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so so I I when he was at Xbox, he had to play a lot of games because he I'm was sure. doing um, extra third party games for yeah. Xbox and. Um, and so we brought a ton of things home. And I remember in particular um, watching him play Portal mm-hmm. and loving it. Yeah. I couldn't play Portal. I have, I never, because I, as a kid, I never used a controller. I, yeah. I like literally can't, I can't function. To this day. To this day. Okay. I What's, what the heck is wrong with you, Eve? Come on. I don't know. Like it's so, I can use it, but I'm awful at it. And it drives yeah. me nuts and it's just bad. But I loved watching him play Portal. Oh, yeah. Portal's and amazing. Would, we'd talk through things sometimes, and you know. And then, and also Braid. Oh, yeah. Braid yeah. was wonderful. Yeah. Braid was wonderful. I also, I, the only reason, the only game for which I ever turned the Xbox on was Bedazzled. Just to repeat for clarity, Eve says Bedazzled. <laughs> I, you know, like, so I'm really a puzzle game person, a casual yeah. person person i love some narrative games are interesting to me but mostly it's puzzles and yeah. um, and because i use games often as a way to um as like to get myself into a fugue state and and to process it's like a background processing so i love puzzle games that's why i love um dave's game triple town mm-hmm. um, still play like eight or nine years later what eve says here is worth hearing she says that when she plays video games she enters a fugue state a fugue state involves disassociating uh, with your body and just sort of letting yourself drift and process. 
So when you say fugue state, do you mean like a, a, the, the kind of like, is it a, is it kind of like being high? Is it kind of like smoking pot? Like, like, no, I don't No, it's different. Okay. I, I use fugue state probably in a very not scientific way, but it's like, I use, I, I get into a rhythm with the game mm -hmm. where I'm thinking where part of my brain is engaged in this very, very simple, straightforward process. Mm -hmm. And then behind that, all of this other stuff is processing. I see. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I love, I still love also board games mm -hmm. and, and like strategy board games and, and that process. But that's how I use games. And I enjoy watching other people play different types of games. But I, like, you know, I, I'm never going to really enjoy having to use a controller or try to navigate around a busy screen in the middle of, a uh, like, an online battle. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah. But I appreciate it. You know, I appreciate it. I feel like you know what works for you and doesn't work for you at this point. And I, I'm okay with that. However, <laughs> I will say that I think you could learn to use a controller. I'm sure you, you have, the instincts are there. I mean, this is one of the real concerns. I remember at DICE a couple of years ago, I had a, one of the roundtable discussions, which I love at DICE. Um, yeah. And one of the concerns that we were discussing was that there's a whole generation of, of kids now that, that grow up watching Twitch and they're not playing games necessarily. Like for me, my generation... Mm -hmm. And again, I'm like the generation after you, but yeah. if I see somebody playing a game, I immediately just want, I don't want to watch it anymore. I just want to play it. But there, there, there are mm -hmm. generations behind me that really are, are very, very comfortable just watching. And so they're worried that, that the, the controller skills, that ki there's, there's generations of kids now that are not growing up necessarily with the controller skills that my generation grew up with. Um, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's interesting. I think partially, too, that the technology is changing and the technology that people want to play games on is changing. Yep. Um, what's interesting, though, you know, you say that, but the, the Switch may be stemming that tide because the Switch, like my daughter loves playing games on yeah. the Switch. Yeah. And that is a control, you know, she uses the controller. Yeah, I, I mean, and, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, you're, you're right. And, and the, you know, the Wii, you know, when you know, 10, yeah. 15 years ago, everybody bought a Wii. And, but, the, you know, again, the people who were buying the Wii weren't necessarily using the, using the controller in traditional ways. Right. You know, yeah. they were kind of waving well, them yeah. around and stuff. I mean, you know, my daughter is a digital, is a touchscreen native. Like she, she was, when she was, a, like, when she started using screens at two, she started using an iPad. And she got confused for a long time about laptops that didn't have touchscreens. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it took her a while to figure out a mouse. And so I, I just, I think actually like gaming is, is going to change more in response to that. Yeah. As much. I mean, it's not like controller, controllers aren't going to go away. I, the switch, I think proves that. Yes. Um, as long as it's a good technology with, you know, with usefulness, but you know, there's a, there's increasingly a, um, a move towards cross-platform access to things. Mm -hmm. And I think people are going to start to access games in a really wider range of ways. That's just the way it's going to be. I mean, I, you know, I, it's, I have this kind of hands-off view of technology. Where I'm, I, we don't even know 
really what's going to be the next major change in the way we interact with technology. I, I, I agree. I, I, I think everybody's going to start taking shots at it. Uh, I think Nintendo yeah. has taken the most chances so far of, of all the, the major developers out there. And, and I think, you know, everybody wants to figure this out. You know, you, you look back on, the, on Microsoft, you look back on the Kinect. Kinect didn't quite work out the way that Microsoft right. and lots of people <laughs> thought it was going to. And, you know, and so far, virtual reality hasn't really been the step forward, uh, lurch into the future that we were hoping it would be. But, so, you know, they're, gonna, they're not going to stop trying. For sure, somebody's going to figure it out. Um, and I'm excited to see what those changes are. And I'm, gonna, I'm excited to see how games and gaming are, are going to evolve. It's so funny. Like, I think about generations like your daughter, who's nine, like she doesn't expect a screen not to respond to her touch. You know, she, like that would be shocking for her to, to find a screen that just doesn't respond to her fingers. Well, she's figured it out now. Yeah. She knows it between a laptop and a and a iPad. But it's yeah, I mean it was it's a fascinating, you know, her facility like navigating in Roblox and in yes. Minecraft on the iPad is just like way different than mine and um and we couldn't have anticipated that yeah you know i i i love take this so much and i really got to understand your team and meet your team really for the first time last year here in toronto um i can't remember what the name of the conference was tigs tigs here in toronto it's toronto international game the the international game summit on the, okay it was a take this event, but it was also a, a event that Mark Chandler yep. made happen. And I want I want to recognize him because um, it's it's his is his experience and his his desire and his energy that really pulled that together. Yeah. And and he is he's a guy who's been really super open about his own mental health diagnosis. Yeah mental illness and and is like a fantastic representative of of this group of people who can be vulnerable and can talk about it and it can help them and help the world and i just like i i have so much admiration for him for be and, and for for people like him and you both men who have who have been willing to say the things that need to be said about their own needs and their own experience one of the things I learned from that conference was that, um, like, there's a bit of a gender issue when it comes to self-care. That, oh, that yeah, the, yeah. the people who bought tickets, some were men who didn't come, but most of the people who bought tickets were women. And most of the people who were there that day were women. Yep. And, and, like, when I felt like that was articulated for me and, and, and I got to see it with my own eyes, it just really made me understand that the, this is – this is a bit of an uphill battle for, for, for you and, and for the game development industry. Like men need to start, you know, taking steps along the self-care pathway and, and taking better care of themselves and being honest and open with what they can and can't do. Um, yeah, there's a lot, there's really strong cultural stigma around this. And it's, it's about vulnerability. Yeah. And myths about what, what, whether or not it's okay to be vulnerable, which is very sad to me, but totally true. Yeah. Around and there's also like broad skepticism about the validity of of therapy, mm -hmm. and of of like opening up and yeah. and these and these prejudices around around openness and honesty. 
Listen, you know, we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, we were talking about how there's a level of intimacy and and boundary blurring right now in this yeah. crisis and how we have to be comfortable with that. And that's weird. That is, it's an opportunity because we we are all in a in a very profoundly uncomfortable and challenging moment here and if we can be a little bit vulnerable and open because we have to be in order to function now that will serve us in the future because that's a model for for a different way of functioning there there's there's a there's a really strange thing around masculinity and its relation, its perceived relationship to stoicism and mm-hmm. and and um, ideas of of privacy and boundaries. And while boundaries are good, uh, generally, there's something really, really important about vulnerability and emotional openness and honesty. Yeah. Um, and and that's scary. And people understand it to be weakness when it's not. It's mm-hmm. actually the strength to be vulnerable. It's that same thing I was talking about when, like, the fear of growth. We were talking mm-hmm. about it, right? It's tremendously scary to grow and to change. And it takes such profound strength to do it. That's why I have to stand, literally spend 10 minutes every morning standing on two feet and mm-hmm. feeling grounded in order to be in a place where I can do that and access it because it takes all of the strength of my body to do that. So uh, is that some, that's what you do every day? You stand for 10 minutes in silence or like to, yeah. just, just walk me through that process. If people wanted to replicate what you do every day, are, are you comfortable mm-hmm. sharing that? Well, I, I'll, it's, it's more that like this is what has evolved to help me. And if, uh, if people can hear that and understand that they can also find the thing that helps them, great. Um, but yeah, my practice has been, and there's, there's a variety of standing poses in yoga that, you know, and, and practices I've learned that uh, inform how I got to this place. But mm-hmm. what um, I do is I, I go out on my back deck, and sometimes that means I'm bundled up. And um, I've been holding tea, hot tea, because it's, it's, you know, still in the 40s or 50s, 40s sometimes in the morning outside. Um, but I, I find a stance where my feet are slightly wider than my hips, and I try to relax my glutes and um, pull my belly in, especially right at my solar plexus, so mm-hmm. that I have the proper support for my spine. And I let my shoulders drift up and back so that they're relaxed and sitting. And I allow my feet, my, my, the soles of my feet to relax as much as possible and soften into, into the, my, usually my slippers and then the, the, the patio below them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I feel as if I am, my, the soles of my feet are spreading out and growing roots down. Oh, and, I love this. Yeah, and it's literally, it's quite literally the, the feeling of growing roots. Mm-hmm. And then I get, turn attention to, to my spine. To the center, the 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 center axis of my body, and the sense of the the line coming down through my feet all the way up through my spine through the top of my head, mm-hmm. so that, that I feel as if I have a center, mm-hmm. and the center is solid, and that it is conducting energy in both directions into my body 
into that center, sol that solid center and out through the roots and up to the sky. Oh. And I breathe when I breathe in, I gather that in. And when I breathe out, I, I, I let it go in both directions, but very intentionally, not like it all dissipates or anything, but there's an intentional process of conduction of energy along that line. This is so wonderful. I love this. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I need to try this. Like it's, 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 it's so, it sounds so spectacular to me. You know, when I was teaching yoga, um, those are the kinds of visualizations I would walk my, my students through during like an opening breathing meditation. And mm -hmm. I would always say to my students, focus on your breath at the mm -hmm. beginning do your breathing and if you have done if you are breathing and if you're breathing intentionally in your practice then you are doing yoga mm -hmm. that is what yoga is is that intentional movement of the breath and energy through the body and so i often will come back to that when my own practice is struggling or i'm having a hard time figuring out where to start or i barely have the energy to get on my mat i will come back to that mantra it's like you know i need it myself and and um it allows me to <sighs> to find a starting point, you know, because yeah. be, the hardest part is the starting. It really is. But I can hear it even in the, your tone of voice right now. Like you're he, listening to you talk. Um, you don't know this because you don't listen to yourself. But, <laughs> but listening to you talk, I can hear the self-care in your own voice. Does that make sense? Like I can hear it. I can hear yeah. the warmth that you experience for yourself. You know, that's, it's really, uh, it's profound to hear that from to you say that because um, as much as I do this practice and I, and I know that I do it for myself, I don't always recognize it. It, it can be hard. And I, I struggle with a sense of, uh, of with self doubt and a sense of self worth. Yeah. It can be hard to hear yourself. It can be, it can be hard to receive the gift from yourself. Yeah. And so to, to feel that reflected back is a, is a reminder that I have done it, that I have given that to myself. And that's really profound. You have. And, and you know, I feel like yeah, I didn't know these things about you when we first met. We really only met a year ago at, at GDC. And, yeah. um, and, but the fact, I could just hear that I can hear in your voice that you take very good care of yourself and, and you protect yourself. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, I wish, <laughs> I wish I could say that I heard that in everybody's voices, but I, I really don't. It's, it's a rare, wonderful thing. And you know, what you're doing is really working for you. Yeah. But I also like, I want to be real about it mm -hmm. right now. It's working for me. And right now I'm doing it. I haven't always. And there have like, it's not a, it's not a straight line yep. and I want to reassure people because it's easy for me to, to come down on myself really hard when my self care slips or to like to lose, to lose sight of it really quickly. Mm -hmm. And I just, I want to tell people, I want people to hear that like it's hard. And when I say it's a practice that takes practice, like that means that sometimes I don't. Yeah. Sometimes I fail at it. Yeah. And so I, like it's okay like everyone has permission to to have the times when it doesn't work this is your uh disclaimer yeah yeah it's a disclaimer, but also the like let's be real moment let's be real yeah and i think it's important and i'm glad you said that because it's like you didn't just arrive 
Like (laughs) these are all things you had to learn. These are tools you had to acquire for yourself and it takes work. And, and sometimes, you know, there was like, don't doubt that there was despair and there's always despair for everybody. And you don't think you're going to get there. But I think you're also a great example of someone who uh, really, you know, you kept your eyes on where you wanted to get to. And even though you didn't always know where it was or how you were going to get there and you found your way. Thank you. Yeah, and, and maybe that's hard for you to hear, and maybe it's hard for you to, to accept fully right now, but I don't want you to forget <laughs> that. After we get off the phone, I want you to remember that I said that to you. Oh, you've given me quite the gift in that. Uh, yeah. Listen, when uh, and you've also given me a gift too, and I just wanted to say this really quickly. Meeting your team uh, from Take This at, um, at the TIGS uh, event last year was really wonderful for me, and your people, I think, think are all amazing like it's not it's not just you there are other people out there who have support supporting roles and and they're all wonderful every single one of them was wonderful and and there's less, there's lots of people who believe in you and believe in the mission of of take this and and i felt so inspired being there and meeting your team and seeing i don't know just what you were doing as a group mm. um that uh I, and also seeing this disparity between the, the genders at, at, at TIGS. I, uh, I, I've been in therapy for almost 20 years now. Some of it has been great and easy and lots of it has been ugly and miserable, but I'm a much better person because of it. But I actually applied for a program here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a licensed psychotherapist. Oh, so that's I, wonderful. I start in the fall and um, I haven't really talked about it yet. But I just spent a, a couple of uh, couple of months pulling the application together, and now uh, with the pandemic, uh, things are probably going to be delayed. But I just, you know, I had a long conversation with my own therapist about this here in Toronto, and um, he he was he was very encouraging. And I've always had a fantasy of of being working in therapy and helping people through their own labyrinths. And I I just want to what I want to do is sort of. How, create a practice that sort of overlaps with the with game development and game development community as much yeah. as possible. So hopefully at some point in the future, maybe five or 10 years from now, we'll be working <laughs> together in some capacity. Uh, I would really like that. That's, oh, I'm so excited to hear that. I'm we, excited to We too. really need more culturally competent game, game culture competent uh therapists it's something we do talk about yeah i really um i i realize also doing uh heavily pixelated um like these are all little miniature therapy sessions in a way you know it's helping people talk about um where they've been how they got through what they've been through um and i just i love it so much nothing makes me more satisfied gratified than being able to help other people. And so I just want to help more people. And I know that, that making games is very challenging. You know, every team mm-hmm. has, has members that, are, that, that need, need help. And you know, I, I would like to try to help them somehow. Mm. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we'll see. Beautiful. That's really right. beautiful. I loved our conversation. It was just great to ha- spend a little time together and, and catch up a little bit and hear, hear what you're doing to take care of yourself and hear how you're, you know, dealing with, with your isolationism. Totally. That, and your and your husband's isolationism and your daughters and and just like, and your dog too. Send me a picture of your dog if you can. I will. Thank you so much, Eve. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Special thanks to Eve Crevoche and her team at TakeThis.org.
No matter where you are or what you're doing today, I sincerely hope that you're receiving the gift of yourself. Eve mentioned some resources that the IGDA is making available. I've put a link to those resources on my website, scottcjones.com. Some of the music in today's episode is from Patrick de Artega, including the tune that you're hearing right now. Also on my website, a photo of Eve and her incredibly attractive family. If you like what we're doing here on Heavily Pixelated, you can support us on our Patreon, patreon.com backslash heavily pixelated. Stephen Nikolic is the technical producer. Sarah Deakins is the producer. And I'm Scott C. Jones. Thanks for listening. <laughs>